Hello there, and welcome to May Fight Club. Yours truly, Manny G, here with you today to talk about UFC Mexico coming up this weekend, Saturday the 7th, sorry, 24th of February with the 7 p.m. Eastern start time, also known as UFC Fight Night, Royval versus Moreno Part 2. Packed card, no belts in the line, but a lot of implications. We'll start with the prelim card first, work our way all the way up through the main card, give you a pick for each fight, give you some general predictions, talk about some betting spots, and also some spots you might want to avoid. Before we get into UFC Mexico, let's talk about UFC 298 last weekend. Oh my goodness, the main event, Volkanovski, ripple effects through that division. We'll talk about the potential rematch, where he goes from here, but also go over the results of UFC 298 and also our bet tip sheet to see how we did. If you tailed us last week, you probably were in the green. That's a good thing. So let's go over that right now. Overall, we finished nine and three for UFC 298. So nine correctly picked fights, uh, three incorrect fights. Um, not so bad. In a card that I heard some people didn't do so well, we were happy to leave with our head above board first fight Miranda Maverick versus Andrea Lee we were on Andrea Lee and uh no it became pretty evident early on that Andrea Lee and I did like her in the fight it was a striking she just really couldn't do much with the hands and a little sloppy little reactive instead of initiating things ultimately Miranda wins easily all three rounds by decision so at minus 185 Miranda Maverick was the right side at plus 154, Andrea Lee was just uh, a waste of my money. Okay, next fight, Oban Elliott versus Val Woodburn. Oban Elliott made this look uh, quite easy, uh, put it that way. And for Val Woodburn, I had people kind of give me a hard time last week saying, oh, you know, Val Woodburn this. And I get it. He's got a certain set of skills and he's dangerous, but it's so limited. It's just knockout or bust. And Oban Elliott put on a clinic and he easily won by decision. Next fight. Uh, straight murder. Danny Barlow kicked the hell out of Josh Quinlan. A beatdown that definitely Quinlan's going to have to go back to the gym, back to the doctor, regroup because the fight got stopped in round three just due to beating. I mean, he was tr Quinlan was trying to, trying to still fight, but Danny Barlow was jumping all over him, knocking him around. It gave me uh, visions of when, um, what's her name? McKenzie Dern fought her last fight against Jessica Andrade. Uh, it was that bad. Danny Barlow, round three TKO. We had him to win. He looked good, looked dominant. Next fight, Minyang Zhang versus Brenson Ribeiro. Here's probably the fight that I was most wrong on the card. I had it, I was so, I was in my mind so clearly thinking that Brenson Ribeiro would tag him in round one, knock him out, and actually the reverse happens. You know, he ends up getting knocked out in round one. The fight going under 1.5, the fight going no distance, the fight ending by knockout, those props all hit. I just expected more from Brenton Ribeiro here. I thought he'd be on the winning side, so we end up on the losing side here with Minyang Zhang pulling off the win. Next fight, Rinyan Nakamura, Japanese fighter versus Carlos Vera. Decision win for Rinyan Nakamura. That was par for the course, and I mentioned in the in the uh, prediction, even though Rinyan Nakamura was like a minus 1,100 favorite, we had him winning by decision, which is a dangerous thing with a guy that favored. He ends up winning by decision in a fight where he, he should be doing more. At minus 1100. Next fight on the prelim card was Marcos Rogero de Lima against Junior Tafa. We did not bet on this fight. We did not predict this fight because the other Tafa was initially initially scheduled and then Junior Tafa stepped in last minute. Now, between me, you, and the, and the corner over here, I did in my own little sheet mark that I took Lima to beat Junior Tafa too and probably by some kind of decision, probably wear him out, hold him down. Didn't see him leg kicking Tafa the way he did and then being so fierce with leg kicks and getting him out of there because of that. Because if you watch the fight, 
Tafa ends up just falling to the ground at some point in round number two because he just can't deal with the leg kicks anymore. So good win for Lima. Not much of an opponent. Uh, I wish I had more time in that fight. I would have gotten more on it. Uh, but the late replacement kind of scared me off. Next fight, the main fight of the prelim card, Amanda Lemos and Mackenzie Dern. I had Lemos winning by round two knockout. So you know why I just took a deep breath. In round two, there's a moment when Mackenzie Dern is just getting beat up, just like her last fight against Andrade. And then at some point, she just covers her face and falls on her back. And the referee's there. He's looking. He's thinking. Doesn't stop it. You can argue now after the fact that he shouldn't have stopped it because Mackenzie did come back to some extent and put on a good fight and showed a lot of heart. But in that moment, my round two knockout prop at plus 600 for Lemos, I'm like, yes, yes, yeah, no. So that cost us some money. Could have looked a little smarter in this fight. But we did like Lemos here. I hate to say this. I just think Mackenzie Dern is a one-trick pony. And uh, that's it. Until she makes some, some major evolution in her striking, this is going to be it. This is the top of her game. Sorry to say that. But next fight, Anthony Fluffy Hernandez by rear naked choke round two. Everyone who liked Fluffy in this fight liked him by submission, specifically probably after round one because he has a way of wearing on people. Unlike some fighters who need a fresh, uh, clean body, no, no oil, whatever, no slipperiness. With guys like Hernandez, they benefit from the sweat and the blood. He got a submission. He was chasing submissions for the first uh, for the minute or so leading up to it. It was a matter of time. For Kopilov, he's been submitted before right by Carl Robertson, who is an okay fighter. So we were not surprised to see this. We had a bet on Hernandez to win by submission. That was plus 180. If you had Hernandez and you had it by submission, very good. Next fight. This one we did not have right. We had a lot of faith in Triple C. We thought, you know, he's going to get things on, you know, right the ship, whatever, the Olympic wrestling. After round one, I thought, okay, we're looking good here. This is this is a good fight. It's going longer, which we thought would go. Henry Suhudo, from most uh, most fans' viewpoint, had one round one. I can't tell you for sure what the scorecards were, but it appeared to have one round one. And then that's it. And then Marab Devash. And by the way, in round one, Henry does clip Devashvili, like clip him, like almost a little stanky leg. It was a nice round for Henry Suhudo. He just could not keep up with Marab in rounds two and three. Classic Marab Devashvili with gas for days, cardio for days. However you want to put it, the guy just doesn't stop. Ultimately, he's just too much for Henry. He wins easily in rounds two and three. Post-fight, I don't want to get into that other than the fact that, uh, you know, he did retire before. Dana was not going to give him the mic to retire again, I guess. I don't know. I think he is retired. Not sure if he's retired. He got paid 150 grand for this fight. Peanuts for the career he's had. Again, other topics to get into. He's kind of did it to himself with the first retirement, played some hardball with the UFC, whatevers. But either way, we were wrong here. Henry Cejudo came out of retirement. Since then, he's 0-2. A lot of people with the nostalgia, like myself, were like, oh, he's got a shot here, man. It's Olympic champ. 0-2. So we felt for the bait, and Marab really don't underestimate the guy. He's pretty good. Ian Machado-Gary with a split decision win over Jeff Neal. We could talk about this for a long time. We had Machado to win. We had him by decision. We even had him by a split decision if you tracked our tip sheet. So all those things worked out. The only two butts I have here is like, why didn't Jeff Neal like go for it more at times? I just feel like he could have done a little more pressuring. And with Machado, Gary, that was not a good win, dude. And you're going to be criticized for it. I'm sorry. 
He was very tentative. Both guys doing way too much glove touching and resetting and, oh, hey, how are you? They don't have to be complete you know, a-holes to each other, but we do want to see a fight. <laughs> and that one right there was maybe one of the more lackluster fights on the entire card. Now, Kobe event, Robert Whitaker versus Paulo Costa. That was a banger. It was a really good fight. Uh, Whitaker was wearing a lot of damage by the time the fight was over. If you felt that Costa won, that was your main gripe. And the thing of damage is always a weird thing to me because they say damage is supposed to supersede all things. I mean, is damage more important than a few pitter-pat strikes? I guess. But ultimately, Whitaker did enough, seemed to have more volume. It was super close. Could have gotten a split. Could have gone either way. Whitaker wins. We had Whitaker win at like minus 260, minus 270 range in a parlay. So that was nice. But it was a bit of a sweat. And there were times where Paul Costa did a pretty good job out there. I thought Costa had a overall good performance, showed that he's sort of back in the mix. The main event, Ilya Teporia, Alexander Volkanovsky. We all know what has happened by now. Volkanovsky getting knocked out in the second round. I'll tell you, the writing is all over the wall, all over the floor, all over everywhere. The days of Volkanovski holding the championship in multiple divisions or pound for pound, that's all in the rear view now. It's just going to be the tail end of his career. How does he do it? Does he take the amount of rest necessary between fights? Does he try to collect a few big bags? That's it. It's all that ha that's all that's happened here. It's not that he's done anything wrong. It's not that he's you know bitten off more than he could chew. Three, four years ago, Volkanovski maybe could beat this version of Ilya Teporia. Now in his late 30s, not the case. Smaller weight class. It's not the heavyweight division. So I have all the respect in the world for Volkanovski. He's talking about taking some time, about six months or seven months, to then get this rematch with Teporia if, in fact, the rematch does happen. If I'm the UFC, I'm doing the rematch. It makes sense. Volkanovski is a, a big-ticket sale. Teporia is the, the new thing. Um, it will hold up the division for a second, but is what it is. Um, imagine if Volkanovski then beats him and then they do the trilogy. Oh, geez. You know, if you're in that division, you're going to be frustrated. But... Anyway, long story short, we did have Tapuria to win, and we had him to win by decision. Not going to sit here and pretend like, oh, we were so confident in him. We were not confident. Matter of fact, we had a lot of reservations about picking him to win the fight, but he does pull it off. As for our betting tip sheet, we finished off with plus 4.39 units. That was amazing. In our special section, we hit our triple P parlay. For our newsletter subscribers, you know what that means. That's basically our parlay pieces parlay which is the pieces in the fight card that we feel the most confident you can parlay into something we put them all together in one six leg parlay and that parlay was maverick versus lee fight goes to decision at minus 285 zhang versus ribero the fight does not hit round three at minus 500 Sahudo versus marab starts round three at minus 450 gary versus neil begins round two at minus 400 whitaker versus costa the fight begins round two at minus 500, and then Volkanovski versus Tapuria over 1.5 rounds at minus 370. If you parlayed that six-legger of complication, it gave you plus 278 odds. We had a 0.15 unit on that to win 0.42 units, and then we removed the Ma Maverick versus Lee fight, which now reduced it to plus 179 odds. We had a 0.35 unit bet there to win 0.63 units. So in total, that triple P parlay, we won about 100 bucks. Our marathon parlay also hit, which was a long one. That was Maverick versus Lee, starts round three. Barlow's versus, Barlow versus Quinn, starts round two. Lima versus Taffa begins round two. Cejudo versus Marab starts round three. Gary versus Neil begins round two. Whitaker versus Costa starts round two. And Volkanovski versus Tapuria over 1.5 was minus 370. That barely hit. That marathon parlay was at plus 647 odds. We had a 0.15 unit bet, a $15 bet. 
to win $97. Not a bad return there. Um, other highlights on our card here, we had a few parlays hit. A matter of fact, four of our five parlays did hit. One of the parlays we had here was Maverick versus Lee goes to distance, Elliott to win, Jang versus Ribeiro under 1.5 rounds. Um, anyway, parlays did well. For our prop section, the one prop that did hit, we do a lot of props at like high odds. The one that hit was Ian Gary by split decision at plus 700. That was 10 bucks to win 70 bucks if you played that. Our individual money line plays, though, our straight bets, no bueno. We went 0 for 3 there. We had Jeff Neal to win, Val Woodburn to win, Henry Cejudo to win. All three lost. We went negative one unit there for our money line wagers. But in total, again, we finished off with plus 4.39 units. If you're wondering where you could find this, all of our information about our tip sheet and our bets, it's tracked through our newsletter. So we publish a tip sheet every week. After that event's over, we update that tip sheet. It's got X's, green marks, minus signs, plus signs. It shows you all the final results. It's edited over the weekend. You can go back in through your Substack app, log in, and check that tip sheet, and you will see it's fully updated with the results. We also have our account on betma.tips. So either way, we are tracking our bets in, in multiple places. You know what we're talking about. One more thing. The MFC Syndicate started last week. Okay, that's a program we're running throughout the year. We're going to keep track of a basic small amount of wages we're doing. We started that off with 100 bucks Last weekend, we invested 50 bucks into UFC 298. We walked away with only one winner in our four bets. We had four bets. 50 bucks in total we lost 23 dollars. the one bet that we did hit was hernandez by submission at plus 180 three of the bets that we had was andrea lee by decision at plus 200 that didn't hit obviously amanda lamos by round two knockout at plus 600 we had a five dollar bet that it went 30 bucks Ugh, that would have that would turned into a profitable weekend for mfc and syndicate the last bet was cejudo by decision at plus 275 that of course didn't hit so again our beginning balance was 100 bucks our potential ROI last weekend was $128. Instead, our ROI was $27 on a $50 investment. We lost $23. We'll keep track of the MFC syndicate, the balance, and the bets throughout the year. So right now, we started with $100. We dropped $23. So now we're going to be sitting at $77, right, for our total balance. And again, pay attention this week to the MFC syndicate, and you'll see what the bets we're going to be placing through our tip sheet. If you don't know what the tip sheet is, a newsletter, you're like, what is this? Please subscribe to our newsletter. It's run through Substack. Here's the link right here down below. If you're on YouTube, the link is mmafightclub.substack.com. If you're hearing this on the podcast, again, that's mmafightclub, period, or dot, substack.com. That's the place where we host our newsletter, great content, free content, breakdowns. This week we cover PFL versus Bellator and, of course, UFC Mexico. All right. So that was how we fa fared at UFC 298. I had some friends, specifically uh, our buddy Haley over at Butterfly Guard. She had such a bad weekend that she said she found herself at some point like shutting off the fights, not wanting to watch it. We've all been there. When you get to a, you know, whatever, seventh, eighth fight in the card and you're just like dropping L's left and right, you just get so frustrated. You're like, I thought I knew what I was talking about. All right, UFC Mexico coming up this Saturday, the 24th of February, the 7 p.m. Eastern start time. Main event, of course, will be Brandon Moreno versus Brandon Royval. The second time they're going to be facing each other. This event's being held in Mexico City, 13 bouts in total. Lucky for you, it's on ESPN Plus, not a pay-per-view event. I do like that. Let's begin with the first fight on the prelim card. That's going to feature a featherweight bout between Muhammad Namoff and Eric King Silva. Now, Namoff, a guy that we're kind of just getting to know, but man, his, his profile picture alone looks serious, and he's been on a bit of a streak doing some bad things to his opponents. We'll talk more about that in a second. 
Basically, if one of these two guys, Namoff is 10 and 2 overall, 5 and 0 in his last five. Hails from Tajikistan, now based out of Denver, Colorado, 29 years old. Now trading also out of Elevation Fight Team. Good gym. As for Eric King Silva, 9 and 2 overall, similar experience, good record, winning, winning percentage. 4 and 1 overall from Venezuela, 36 years old, 11 months. So about to be 37. Getting up there, especially for a featherweight, five foot nine with a seventy-one inch reach. Height and reach wise, not much of a factor. That age could be a factor. Let me jump into my notes here in this fight. All right, here's our prediction. We like Muhammad Hitman name off by a round three submission. That prop bet is paying plus two K. Yeah. Plus two thousand for the round three submission for Namoff. Let's go. Namoff's right now sitting around minus five seventy-five. Could be now minus six hundred by the time you hear this. Huge favorite, one of the biggest favorites on the card. And you got Silva at plus 425. For Namoff, went 3-0 in 2023, so a busy year last year, in the midst of a five-fight winning streak. Good stuff. He went 6-1 as an amateur before going pro about six years ago. He missed his first crack at the UFC back in 2020. He was on Contender Series, and he lost the fight. His big break came last summer when he fought Jamie Malarkey after Malarkey's original opponent dropped out. And Mr. Namoff made the most of it. He knocked out Malarkey, surprised a few people. He was a big dog in that spot. He followed up that performance with a solid decision win over Nathaniel Wood. Now, Silva didn't fight at all last year. First red, first red flag. He's also turning 37 years old in a few weeks. Second red flag. Four of his nine wins are by submission. So you know he's got some submission skills. But he's also been submitted in both of his losses. So it's always interesting when you have a guy who's good at offensive submission but not good at defending submissions, right? Silva averages almost four takedowns per fight. That will be critical in this fight here compared to only 1.58 for Namoff. So in theory, on paper, you would see Namoff getting taken down more and Silva winning the takedown game, in theory. Silva needs to secure takedowns and position control to win this fight. Namoff is more active in the striking department and will put a lot of forward pressure on him. Some betting spots to consider here. The fight starts round number two. I don't have a price tag on that just yet. The fight does not go the full distance. That's minus 190. The fight ends by a submission, either guy, and Silva on the money line. And I'm saying Silva because at plus 425, there's that he hasn't fought in a while. He's getting older. And Namoff is still unproven. So we could get surprised here. First fight in the card, Namoff being a huge favorite. And I don't think Namoff has done enough in his young career, his young period of time in the UFC, to warrant being that big of a favorite against anybody. You know, you kind of catch my drift. Uh, let me look over here on my Excel sheet real quick just to make sure I don't have any more notes I want to share with you guys on this fight. I mean, the, the predictions, name, <clears throat> excuse me, name off. I'm not rocking the boat, not telling you something that other cappers wouldn't tell you. The under two and a half is minus 160. Not a bad spot. Again, the fight no distance minus 190 is our prop lock. That's the spot we feel the most comfortable with. Eight years the senior for Silva. Yeah, you know, a fight, put it this way, a fight where the only thing that really bothers me is the line. The price tag. I do think Namoff's the better fighter, ahora, as they say today, but a little bit of a trap there, right? And the books know what they're doing. They're backing you into a spot where the value is going to be limited and F around and find out if this guy goes ahead and drops the ball for some reason. So, again, Namoff's the pick. Uh, proceed with caution. Don't heavily invest into the first fight of the night. Next thing you know, you, you, you drop the ball in the first fight and you're done. Okay, next fight in the card, a flyweight battle. Victor. All excitement, Altamirano versus Felipe Dos Santos, 125 pounders. Now, that's not Victor's nickname. His nickname is El Magnifico, but this guy fights with reckless abandon. No attention to his own personal health. He goes for it. It's, it's always fun, always exciting. He can get 
clipped in the process, but nonetheless, he's going to give you a fight that's worthy of watching. I look forward to this one. Okay, for Dos Santos, he's 7-1 overall, 3-1-1 his last five. He's the favorite here. He's from Sao Paulo, Brazil, currently lined at minus 298. You got Victor Altamano at plus 240. Keep in mind, a lot of Hispanic or Latin American fighters, Venezuela, Argentina, Brazil, even though they don't speak Spanish in Brazil, but some people consider that part of Latin America, uh, Peru, those countries. They're Spanish-speaking, many of those South American countries, but this is being held in Mexico. So the Mexican fighters should be the ones holding home court. In this case here, that would be Altamirano. Okay, back to Felipe Dos Santos from Brazil. 23 years old, so very young. 10 years younger than Altamirano. He's five foot seven to 70-inch reach. As for Victor, 12 and 3 overall, a little more experience, 3 and 2 in his last five. He's now based out of Texas, 33 years old, five foot eight with a 70-inch reach. So height and reach-wise, not much of a factor. I'll tell you my prediction right now. I like Felipe. Lipe Detona is his nickname, I believe. Santos by decision. That's minus 100. The books are telling me they concur. Usually when you're taking an exact method of victory, even if it's by decision, there's plus money involved. In this case here, the books entirely agree with me. <laughs> Dos Santos by decision at minus 100. I probably wouldn't bet that spot, limited return, but that's how I see it breaking down. Okay, Altamirano. He's now currently at plus 240. Dos Santos minus 298. For Altamirano, entertaining fighter. His fights are, they're always box office, you know, win, lose, or draw. He has a high motor, plenty of output, good cardio, averages five strikes per minute. That surprised me because based upon watching him fight, I would have thought it would have been like seven or eight because he is very active. More than two takedowns per fight. He'll be wise to reduce the amount of punches that he's taking, though. That's the big negative with Altamirano. He takes too many punches. He could take them. He's Mexican, got a chin, does, doesn't wear them badly. Like he, He's the kind of guy where you hit him a bunch of times, his face is not even red. He's fine. But on the scorecards, it doesn't look great. It's a bad visual. He gets sloppy at times, gets off balance. You know, the kind of guy who will throw like a back fist when he misses the front portion of the fist. So over the course of three rounds, one judge could or two judges could frown upon how he just looks out there at times. For Santos, lost his UFC debut six months ago to Manel Cop. It wasn't all bad, though. It was a quality effort, good overall performance, and he went to decision. Manel Cop, good fighter, good finishing ability, right? Santos was also a late replacement in that fight. It was supposed to be Kai Car France fighting Cop. So again, a very good uh, overall performance and a learning experience. If Santos puts forth that kind of performance in this fight, my opinion is he wins. I think Cop is obviously a level above where Altamirano is. So for Santos, we've seen him do it. We've seen him go to the decision with a better fighter. I think if he comes out here and executes that kind of game plan, he's successful, gets his hand raised. Over two and a half rounds at minus 265 is a good betting spot. The fight goes the full distance at minus 200. So the books agree with us here that the fight probably goes longer. Our prop lock is the fight just begins round three. It's going to be juicy, probably going to be leaning around minus 450 or 400, but that's our prop lock. That's our parlay piece. It's a, it's a spot where we feel the least amount of risk. As long as it's under 500 odds or better, minus 500 odds, I'm sorry, or better, we're willing to take a look at it. So again, the prediction here is Felipe Lipe de, de Tona Santos by decision. Let's move on. Up next on the card, we have a flyweight battle between Luis Lazy Boy Rodriguez and Dennis or Denny's. Psycho Bondar from Ukraine. Mr. Bondar, I recall breaking down his last few fights. He's 0-2 so far in the UFC. Definitely needing to get things on track. For Bondar, 19-4 overall, 3-2 in his last five. Again, from Ukraine, 31 years old, 5-6 with a 69-inch reach. As for the Mexican fighter, Rodriguez, 15-2 overall, 
on a winning streak from Mexico, obviously, 24 years old, 5, 665-inch reach. So height and reach, not much of a factor. Age, 24 is that edge of like you're, 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 you're not too young anymore. For Luis Rodriguez, he broke in at 20 years old to the UFC sort of landscape, lost that fight. I think he's grown a lot since then. So 24, I think he's now ready for the big time, but he is significantly younger than Bondar. So Bondar is the older fighter with a little bit more whatever life experience. Okay, let me jump into my prediction here for you guys. I like Luis Lazy Boy Rodriguez by decision. That's plus 260 odds. The line currently has Dennis Bondar at minus 102, Rodriguez at minus 118. The line has not moved a bunch. It's been a pick em, and it belongs to pick em. Full disclosure, I could only find clips of Luis Rodriguez fighting. I could not find a full fight, so I'm a bit... A little blind here on this young man, going more off of his record, the statistics, and not so much having seen him in a full fight. So from that standpoint, that gives me trepidation. I don't have a lot of betting interest here. And on the side of Bondar, what I have seen from him, I want to see more, put it that way. Or I, I don't know if I want to see more. <laughs> okay, again, prediction here is Lazy Boy Rodriguez by decision. For Bondar, Ukrainian grappler, awkward striking. Matter of fact, just note to self here. His striking reminds me a little bit of Tim Elliott. If you don't know who Tim Elliott is, then forget that reference. But Tim Elliott's a bit of an awkward, like, you know, hitting you from weird angles. And that's, I shouldn't say Marab Devashvili because he's in a whole nother level of his own. But a little bit of Marab Devashvili is going on there with Dennis Bondar. It's not, you know, down the pipe, one-two, one-two jab combination, things with technique. Um, he can get out boxed at times, that's for sure. That's what happened in his last fight. His inability to get his opponent to the ground in his last fight forced him into more of a kickboxing type of fight, and he lost that fight. <laughs> um, his his jiu-jitsu is his best weapon. He needs to get grappling going. If you look at the resume, you see he's got a handful of submissions. That's where he does his better work. So I would say Rodriguez, right, his opponent here, Luis, he does know that. Right? I'm sure Rodriguez, his coach, his team, his girlfriend, his brothers and sisters, his parents, they all know keep this standing, you eliminate Bondar's biggest you know, skill set, which is jiu-jitsu. Rodriguez is a young Mexican fighter, makes his first walk for the UFC. His last four fights were in Lux Fight League. That is a good regional promotion in Mexico. He's put a high finish rate. He's been a decision in three of his last six fights, though. So here's a guy who high finish rate in the regional scene, now moving up the ladder. Finish rate tends to go down, right? <laughs> he lost to Jerome Rivera four years ago on Contender Series. So that's when he fought first time on the brink of the UFC, 20 years old, lost the fight. Now, Rivera's 0-4 in the UFC. Not great. And he's on the verge of getting cut. But again, looking back in the situation for Rodriguez, he was only 20 years old. So to me, a learning experience, right? The betting spots here I like for this fight are the over 1.5 rounds. I think we both can get these guys to that point in the fight. They're both durable enough for that. The fight goes to full distance. It's minus 140. And Rodriguez on the money line at minus 118. Betting spots, I'm going to be very limited. I'm just not going to put too much into this fight. I think Bondar still has some room to grow, can show some things, but he's a bit of a one-trick pony. The submission game is really all he can do. If you like Bondar here, buy submission or decision if you have that kind of like double-edged prop available on DraftKings. And for Rodriguez, I think it's by decision, but again, I'm still learning about this kid. So a lot of, a lot of blind spots here, bet with caution. The pick is Rodriguez to win by decision. Let's move on. Up next, we have a lightweight clash between Faraz Ziam, the smile killer, versus Claudio, Prince of Peru, Puelles. And yes, Puelles is from Peru. Mr. Ziam, coming all the way over from France. Before I even get to this breakdown, if you follow this channel 
if you've heard our breakdowns of Faraz ZM, you know we're not a big fan of this guy's fighting style. And so this breakdown will be in some ways jaded. <laughs> you know, the kid's four won his last five. He knows how to win fights. I just have a hard time watching his fights. They're very unenjoy unenjoyable. And so part of me just right off the bat wants Pulis to win. <laughs> now I have nothing against Faraz ZM. He might be the nicest guy in the world. I don't even recall what he sounds like in interviews, but it's the fighting style. It's extremely annoying. We all know those kind of fighters where they refuse to push base. They don't want to mix it up. They're looking to get out of there with the least amount of damage possible. And who are we to say anything about that? I'm sitting here behind a desk in the cozy confines of my home. These guys are in the cage fighting for their career, their money, their livelihood. So with all that said, let's talk about this fight here. So Faraz Ziam, the smile killer, fitting nickname, 14-4 and four overall. 4-1 his last five from France. He's the favorite in this fight right now, currently sitting around minus 218. You got Pelez on the other side at plus 180. For Ziam, pretty tall. Six foot one, 75-inch reach. Has done some training out of Kill Cliff FC. For the Peruvian fighter, Claudio Puelas, 12-3, similar experience. 4-1 his last five from Lima, Peru. 27 years old, which surprised me. I feel like I've heard of Claudio's name for a minute. He's only 27, still very young. 5'10 will give up around 3 inches of height here to um, to Zium, and 72-inch reach, about 3 inches in reach also as well to Faraz Zium. Okay, our prediction in this fight is going to be Claudio, Prince of Peru, Puelas by round 2 submission. That's plus 900 odds. Not easy for him to get there, and Zium probably wins this fight. Even though I'm predicting Puelas is going to win, I, I know how this, this pans out for me. I'm always picking against Zium. He pulls this SHIT off. He probably does it again this weekend, probably by a close decision. But I'm going to go with Puelas. I like him by round two submission. ZM's tentative fighting style makes him a landmine from betting perspective. And if you haven't watched him fight before, watch this weekend. You'll see what I'm talking about. He lands only 2.82 strikes per minute. That's not a lot. Around one takedown per fight. Not very busy. He hasn't scored a finish in more than five years. Low finish rate, not aggressive, lacks punching power. ZM has also no problem circling away for three rounds, hearing the people booing. He doesn't care. It's a bigger cage too, right? Not the fight night cage. It's the bigger cage, the, the larger octagon. He's going to literally run at times, and he has no shame in his game. His fighting style is uneventful. It will draw some boos. It should be down early in the prelim card like it is. And all that said, he's 4-2 and two in the UFC. <laughs> I believe he was cut at some point during the last few fights, and then they re-added him to the roster. They needed him for something or a fill-in. But again, four and two in the UFC. I'm pretty sure the matchmakers and Dana don't enjoy watching him fight either. He serves a purpose, though. He is from France, a growing market. And he's a big fighter. He's got some skills. For Puelas, returning to the cage after almost two years away, that is definitely concerning. He's going to have a little bit of rust. He got knocked out by Dan Hooker in his last outing. On one side, Good, take the time off, get yourself all together, whatever else you are young. But at the same other time, it's like, man, that's a long time. 27 years old, sky's the limit, time to get back on track, time to improve his game. Prior to the hooker loss, he was on a five-fight winning streak that included wins over Clay Guida and Jordan Levitt. Quality names, people we know. Plez was finished in both of his UFC losses, so durability is a bit of a concern with Plez. He's serviceable at boxing range, but he excels in the grappling department. He secured three knee bars in his last five wins. Let me say that again. He has three knee bar submissions in his last five wins. I saw that and I was like, good Lord, this guy knows how to get that knee bar. Matter of fact, go back further. On the Ultimate Fighter South America, 
Ultimate Fighter or Brazil, whatever, 2016, he also got a knee bar <laughs> and the ex- an exhibition match. So the guy is dangerous for the knee bars. Our biggest concern with Pelas, though, is a two-year layoff. He might be rusty, and he got knocked out in his last fight. You know, sometimes fighters just don't come back the same. Terrence McKinney submitted ZM about three fights ago, about two years ago. Watch that fight. I I I'm, I know I'm picking on ZM here, but ZM tapped so quickly. He was not going to try to defend the ta- the submission. He was not trying to defend the the choking. He was like, no, no, oh, I'm in danger. I'm out of here. If my man over here, Puelas, was to grab a leg, a knee, and just just try to grab it a little bit, I think ZM would tap before he even begins the knee bar action. I think ZM would tap fast. I think ZM might tap before he even grabs a knee. (laughs) I know it's ridiculous, but you catch my point, or you get my point. If ZM finds himself in a precarious situation that involves a submission, I think he submits. I mean, I think he taps out immediately. Flip side of that is that ZM is not going to be easy to take down. He's going to be on the bicycle. He's going to be running. He has no problem doing it. It's a large cage. So for Puelas, who will have his work cut out for him, I hope he doesn't wait too long. I, I want to see him go out there, get the fight to the mat, attempt one submission, at least in round one. Get it or not, just get round one under the, under your belt because sometimes the fighters who haven't fought in a long time, they come back, they spend too much of the fight just getting ready to fight again. And next thing you know, you're into round three, you've dropped two rounds or you've had maybe dropped round one, close round two. So one more thing for Puelas is he got knocked out last fight, but this guy's him is not a knockout guy. So for Puelas, keep your hands up, work your way inside, get him to the ground, dude. You should be fine. I like Puelas a lot here. My prop lock and my betting spot is the same. It's Puelas by submission. I have no other bet in this fight. I'm not betting over 1.5, under 1.5, decision. It's just Puelas by submission. That's my prop lock. It's plus 275. My exact method of victory is round two submission for Puelas. No faith at all over here in ZM. ZM, prove me wrong. In the meantime, I'm fading this guy. Let's move on. Next up on the prelim card, we've got a flyweight clash between Daniel Mioji Lacerda from Brazil and Edgar Puro Chicali Chires from Mexico. If you're thinking this is Groundhog Day, like, oh, this, didn't this happen before? It did happen before. It happened back in September. We'll talk about that initial fight and how it worked out. It ended up being a no contest, but if you watched it, it was kind of like not a no contest. In any case, here, Lacerda, the Brazilian, 8, 11 and 5 overall, excuse me, 0, 4 and 1 in his last five. Whew. Not a good streak. We'll talk about that in a moment. He's from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, 27 years old, so very young, 5, 6 with a 70 inch reach. As for his opponent here, Edgar Chires, 10 and 5. So experience wise, almost identical. And he too has had a rough stretch. He's Two, two, and one. His last five. He is from Mexico. Big favorite here, though. Shiras is one of the biggest favorites in the card. Matter of fact, he's lined at minus four ten, and you've got Lacerda at plus three twenty. For Shiras, twenty eight years old, also very young, five seven to seventy two inch reach, slight height and reach advantage for Edgar Shiras, but not um, a major difference. All right. As for our prediction, we like Edgar Shiras by round one submission. That's plus six hundred odds. Why would we want him by round one submission? What would make us think round one submission? Why would we think that? Well, because these these two dudes fought <laughs> in September, and we broke down that fight in advance, and we had picked Shires to win by round two submission. It ends up getting stopped in round one. A quick summary of what happened in that fight. We ended up in a guillotine position with Shires choking out Lacerda on the feet. Lacerda appears his arm has gone limp. Referee steps in. 
as soon as the referee steps in, Lacerda's like, oh, no, I'm fine. I was just I was just kidding. I was just dropping my arm to go limp to, like, you know, fool the fighter who was choking me to make him think, like, I was, I was falling out. It was the weirdest SHIT you could ever imagine. I've never seen anything like it. So they ruled that it's a no contest. Whoever the referee was in that, in that fight, because I have no problem picking on referees either, but in this case, I give him a pass because the way it looked, all the replays, my man Lacerda, his arm dropped. Now, we had predicted he would get submitted either way. This guy's on a massive losing streak. He can't get it right right now. He's fighting for his contract. The UFC did him a huge favor by rebooking him for this fight. At the same time, it also serves the UFC's purpose because now they're going to give uh, Shirez another nice finish here in front of the Mexican crowd. All that said, this should have been a submission in the last fight. Um, for Shirez, he's a Mexican badass, 100% finish rate, equal opportunity finisher. He can finish you on the feet or on the ground. His last two wins were by submission, three if you count the last fight. If and when this fight hits the mat, He'll look to end things pretty quickly by submission. Lacerda is winless in the UFC. Four straight losses. He's been finished in all four losses as well, including twice in the first round. Of their last six combined fights, four of them were by submission was the result. So again, last six fights combined between these two guys, they ended by submission. The other two ended by knockout. A finish here seems absolutely a guarantee. Probably within the first half of the fight, Lacerda, questionable cardio. He's young. He may have come into the UFC just too quickly. Durability, big, big problem. Some betting spots here I like. The under 1.5 is minus 215 odds. The fight, no distance. Uh, I'm sorry, the fight does not begin round number three. The fight ends by submission, either guy. And Shirez at minus 410 right now as a parlay piece. The fight not going to round three is our prop lock. Again, Lacerda's lucky he's getting this fight. This fight already happened, and Shirez choked him out. Is what it is. I expect him to do the same exact thing. Let's move on. Moving up the card, next up, a flyweight bout between Jesus Aguilar and Matus Mendoza in the flyweight division. For Mendoza, he's 10-2 overall, 3-2 in his last five, from Sao Paulo, Brazil, 25 years old, 5 foot, 6 foot, 71.5-inch reach. His opponent, Aguilar, 9-2 overall, 4-1 his last five. He hails from Mexico, 27 years old, in 11 weeks, about to be 28 Five foot four with a 62 inch reach. So height and reach, definitely an advantage there for Matus Mendoza. Age-wise, not much of a factor. Experience is also very similar. I'm going to tell you right now, before I did the breakdown of this fight, I kind of didn't remember who Aguilar was. I'm like, oh, who's this guy, Aguilar? Let me look him up a little bit. Did some research, and I quickly came away with thinking that, you know what, this line is off. I think Aguilar should be the favorite. He's plus 105 right now. You got Mendoza at minus 120, 125 range. I think Aguilar should be like a minus 150 favorite. He's the better fighter, in my opinion. Mendoza, he's got potential, but hasn't, you know, hasn't really quite fought the best in the last few fights. He's 0-2 in his last two. And so Aguilar, who's got a very good submission attack, I like him by submission. The prediction here exactly is Jesus Aguilar by round two submission. That's plus 1,000 odds. For Aguilar, scored a highlight knockout over Shannon Ross in his last fight, which it's not aging poorly. It's just that Shannon Ross ended up not being very good. So knocking out Ross is like, whatever. That's what you should do. He's won nine of his last 10 fights, though, which included an impressive win over Edgar Shiraz, who we just talked about. Aguilar has flash knockout power, but his BJJ is where he really gets his bread buttered. Six of his nine wins are by submission. Aguilar averages almost three takedowns per fight while averaging only 1.69 strikes per minute. So striking the volume, that is definitely a concern. If you go to a three-round fight, he has not secured a lot of takedown time. And Mendoza maybe has some more volume. That could be a problem. At the same time, though, Mendoza is also not a very high-volume striker in his own right. 
Mendoza made his way to the UFC via the Contender Series two years ago, trying to get back in the win column after dropping his last two fights, his first two fights in the UFC. He suffered a devastating knockout loss to Nate Menez in his last fight, a fight where he's chasing like a knee bar. You know those guys who are like on the ground trying to grab something and someone's like punching them in the head? And then just they're just like, no, I'm, I'm gonna keep going for this. I'm gonna keep going for this leg over here or this arm. It's like someone's punching you in the head, dude. You gotta, you gotta adjust. That's not working. <laughs> so Mendoza did that game and he got throttled. Um, and so it was a bad loss. Didn't look good. Uh, people had high hopes for him going to that fight. Nate Menez is kind of like middling in his career. Not to mention Mendoza was a minus two forty odds favorite going into that fight. So market's been off on him. The price has been off on him. He's been overpriced or inaccurately priced. Yeah, he hasn't had his hand raised in two years. Also concerns me. He needs to win here. He needs to get his swagger back. You know, young fighter, you start racking up the L's, it kind of messes up with your, with your psyche. But all that said, I think Aguilar is the more consistent fighter. We know what he does. He's going to stick to the game plan, get the fight to the ground, look for submissions. The under two and a half rounds is minus 150. Love that spot. Good return. The fight going no distance is minus 180. So the books are telling you, there's a chance for violence, but we're not sure. The fight ending by submission, no prop price there, but I do like that because they both have submission ability. And the fight going no distance at minus 180 is the prop block. Again, this, the prediction here is Jesus Aguilar by round two submission. I feel more confident in his his game plan. Yes, giving up size. Yes, I get it. Uh, and yes, knockout ability, eh, we don't know about that. Maybe Mendoza hits harder. But when the rubber meets the road, I think his grappling and commitment to it in the game plan win the day. So give me Aguilar by a round two submission. Let's move on. Up to the last fight in the prelim card, we've got the veteran, Rayoni Barcelos, up against Christian Quinones, who goes by Problema. This is a bantamweight bout. 135 pounders. I'll tell you what. I'm going with Christian. Give me method of victory just a second here, but I don't like betting against my man, Harney Barcelos, because he's a veteran, former South American wrestling champion, the whole nine. I respect the dude. He's tough. Good skills overall. He's not he's not too old yet, but man, this is a tough matchup. And the, and the L's recently have been kind of adding up. For Barcelo, 17 and 5 overall, 1 and 4 in his last five. From Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, 36 years old, 5 foot 8 with a 72 inch reach. For Christian Cunones, Problema, 18 and 4 overall, 4 and 1 in his last five. From Mexico, 27 years old, 5 foot 8 with a 70 inch reach. So height and reach, not much of a factor. Our official pick is Christian Problema Quinones by decision. That's plus 550 odds, a very good return. Now, Barcelos is the favorite, minus 192 on the money line. Quinones is plus 160. So I'm taking a dog pick here, but I feel good about it. You know, Barcelos, for all the things I talk highly about him, he is getting older, is slowing down, and Quinones will have the – he'll be crunked up from the crowd. Last fight, the prelim card, the, the, the crowd will start to be filling in. You know what I mean? So I think there's some reasons to like him in this spot. For Quinones, he was riding a five-fight winning streak before his last fight where he lost. At only 27 years old, he's almost a decade younger than Barcelos. We like his motor, active fighting style. His striking defense could be a little better. He does get clipped from time to time, and durability is a bit of a question mark. When he's at his best, though, he lets his hands go, works at range, confidence, backs down opponents with volume and pressure. For Barcelos, like we said before, a former national championship wrestler in South America, then he moved on to mixed martial arts and grappling in his mid-20s. After his starting his UFC career with five straight wins, he's now one and four in his last five. That surprised me. If someone asked me what's his last five, I would not have guessed one and four. That's where he's at. His loss to Victor Henry, Barcelos, Barcelos that is, at minus 500 odds 
a few fights ago. That to me was the signal of the end. That was like, wait a second, dude. We got you as a minus 500 favorite against a guy that you should beat. Victor Henry came in there, spoiled it all. But I think that was the the sign. Listen, Barcelos is now getting a little bit older. He's slowing down. He's taking some damage. So I think Barcelos four or five years ago maybe could win this fight. Maybe he comes out here, looks really good. Kind of outclasses Quinones. This version of Barcelos, I can't get behind at minus one. I need to. This fight maybe should be closer to a pick him. I get it. He's more experienced. I get Quinones has durability issues. I can see him knocking out Quinones. All those things I agree with. But age is a real thing. Ask Volkanovski about it. You know, we're talking about Bantamweight, 135. Guys in their mid to late 30s at, in this division, they don't fare well. And Father Time catches up with these guys quickly. It's not heavyweight division, right? Some spots I like from a betting perspective. The over 1.5 rounds at minus 175 odds. The fight goes the full distance at plus 160 because Barcelos is tough. They're both tough. And the fight ends in a split decision. That prop price is not out yet. I could see this being super close. Go to a split. Who knows? Give me Quinones by decision, but not a fight that I'm super confident. I wouldn't parlay, for example, either guy. There'll be no parlaying of any money lines in this in this uh, fight. If I do parlay anything, it'll be something relating to like the fight starting round number two, which is my prop lock. That price tag is not out yet. But uh, yeah, give me Quinones. I hate to do it. To beat Barcelos, one of the first dogs in the card that I'm giving you guys right here. So Quinones by decision. That's the pick. Let's move on. This brings us to the main card. And the first fight, the main card is between Manuel El Loco Torres, the Mexican fighter, up against Chris the Problem Duncan, who hails from Scotland. Okay, a good fight. A fight that I'm looking forward to. I've watched both guys kind of make their way into the UFC, see some of their development. Duncan's strong as heck, built like a brick house. Torres has tons of finishes, exciting fighter. And again, first fight, the main card. You got to imagine the crowd's going to be all jacked up for El Loco. We like El Loco to win, but I'm willing to hear the argument uh, about Duncan. I've heard some good arguments already so far this week. For Duncan, 11-1 overall, 4-1 his last five. 30 years old. Still very young, five foot ten with a seventy-one and a half inch reach. For Manuel Torres, he's also five foot ten with a seventy-three inch reach. That's notable because Torres tends to be the taller fighter in his matchups, but in this fight, he'll be the same height as his opponent. For Torres, fourteen and two overall, similar experience, on a winning streak. Hails from Mexico, twenty-eight years old, and again, height and reach is comparable. Okay, we like Torres here to win by a round one knockout. That's plus two fifty. So two things right there is we're very confident in Torres. Secondly, the market is not paying a good price in that first-round knockout because so many of his fights have ended in round one. And if you look closely at Duncan, there's a possible durability issue there too. So market's giving me a price tag that's not great. I'm not betting that prop bet, but that's my prediction. For Torres, dangerous fighter with finishes in almost all of his wins. I think he's got like one decision or one non-finish. He earned his UFC contract in 2021 on the series, so three years ago. He followed that up with back-to-back -back round one knockouts in his first two UFC fights. That's how you start your UFC career. <laughs> the crowd's going to be so jacked when you get to the octagon. I mean, just adrenaline alone, adrenaline, sorry, adrenaline alone could either be a positive or a negative for him. For example, he gets too jacked up, gets exhausted in the first half of round one, ends up in round two, and he's like, I have my legs are gone. Or he comes in there and just terrorizes Duncan and finishes him you know, within seconds. Though he won his last two fights by knockout, if you look more closely at his resume for Torres, he does have plenty of submissions. So he will be live to submit Duncan as well. Just putting it out there. For Duncan, he's also a contender series product. He sports an impressive 11-1 record. Can't ignore that. 
He's currently on a four-fight winning streak. Duncan began his career with seven straight finishes. So you look back at his early part of his resume, seven straight wins, right? Now, he's moved up in competition in the UFC. His finish rate is dropping off dramatically. That's normal. It happens. Now, not so much for Torres, right? Duncan has one finish in his last five fights. See what I'm saying? That's okay. It doesn't mean he can't finish people. It just sort of puts things in perspective. I think Torres has a better finishing ability overall than someone like Duncan. He narrowly won a split decision over Omar Morales a few fights ago. That's Duncan, which Omar Morales, he's a good gatekeeper, right? Gives you an idea of where Duncan's at. Good that Duncan got through the full fight with the distance, his chin held up. But then again, Omar, Omar Morales is not going to fight him the way that Torres will fight him, right? <laughs> One of our base concerns with Duncan is the chin. He got clapped by Slava Claus on Contender Series, and he leaves his chin pretty high. He's even had some fights where he won the fight, Duncan, that is, but he got clipped in the process. That's scary, man. You know, Mexicans have a reputation for having granite chins. I think Torres is still very green. He's still unproven. At minus 185, not a bad price tag. Probably now getting to a point where it might be a little too expensive to parlay him, but he, he's got the ability. I like Torres to finish him, but if Duncan were to somehow drag this Hispanic kid into that later part of the fight and drown him out with volume, and pressure and pace, and we find Torres exhausted, no one should be surprised. I hope it doesn't happen, <laughs> but no one should be surprised. Again, the pick is Torres, El Loco, by round one knockout. Some bidding spots here. Under 1.5 rounds is minus 200. Okay. The books are telling us right there, uh, yeah, they expect violence. The fight does not begin round three. That prop price is not out yet. It's probably going to be juicy. Could become a parlay piece for me in this fight. The fight ends by knockout. Either guy. That should be a decent price. And then Torres is a parlay piece at minus 185. I dropped a tweet about a week and a half ago, even maybe even longer. When I first saw the line come out, Torres was like a minus 120, minus 130 favorite. And I thought to myself, man, no offense against Duncan here, but I love Torres at minus 130 against Duncan. I love him to knock him out. Now we got Torres at minus 185 and, and climbing. At the time of this recording, which is 1250 on Thursday, it's possible now he's actually gone over minus 200 odds. It makes sense. The fans are going to be hyped up. He's got the potential. He's He's got the look. Um, give me Torres by round one knockout. I like him a lot here. Let's move on. Making our way up the main card. Next up, the only female bout on the card. Sam Sam Page Hughes up against Yasmin Haraguay, a last name that could be saying correctly. A strawweight bout, 115 pounders. And Yasmin is the biggest favorite on the card. This will be a short and sweet break breakdown. I do like her to win. No offense to Sam Hughes, who does have a way to pull this off here. I'll talk about that in a second here. I do believe this fight is being set up specifically for Yasmin to put on a striking clinic, win the fight in front of the fans. She's the only female fighter on the card. She's the only female Mexican on the card. Catch my drift here. So for Sam Hughes, 8-5 and five overall, 3 to the last 5 from Everett Washington, 31 years old, five foot five with a 64.5-inch reach. Her opponent, Yasmin, 10-1 and one overall, 4-1 her last 5, for hails from... Baja, sorry, Tijuana, Mexico, 24 years old and 11 months, so a little bit younger, 5 foot 3 with a 64 inch reach. So height will actually go to Sam Hughes, surprisingly, because Sam Hughes is usually the shorter fighter, but she will actually have some height here based upon the numbers online. Okay, my prediction here Yasmin Haraguay by decision. That's plus, I'm sorry, that's minus 120 odds. So books are giving us no return there. Haraguay is the biggest favorite on the card at minus 535. You've got Sam Hughes at plus 400. If you're a dog or pass type of person, if you're like, hey, um, 
minus 535 to be on my threshold. At that point, just take a shot at the dog. I get it. Sam Hughes has won plenty of fights as a dog. She's she's upset the books before. She's pulled off the upset many a time, even recently. So if you like her as a dog here, there's plenty of reasons to like her. But in the day here, she's outmatched in just about every area. Yasmin's faster, more athletic, hits with more power, throws more volume, uh, better footwork. Now, cardio, I can't say Yasmin has better cardio than Hughes because Hughes, and, Hughes has that like, I'm never going to give up kind of hard cardio. And if you get into a real dog fight with her, she could drag you to those deeper waters per se. You know what I mean? The only way Hughes, though, can win this fight, in my opinion, though, the only two ways would be if Haraguay had some kind of an injury, a leg injury, elbow dislocation, something fluky. Or, or Hughes would have to take her down and bona fide, like take her down, hold her down for a good three minutes in two of those three rounds. Otherwise, I think Haraguay puts on a striking clinic. She works at range. The fans are cheering her on. She does not finish Hughes, though. And at minus 535 odds on a line, you're expecting that she probably could finish her opponent. In this case, I don't believe so. Some betting spots to consider here. Over 1.5 rounds, minus 400. Haraguay is a parlay piece. The fight ends in a split decision because it's a female fight going to decision. And Hughes, by decision straight up, is plus 600 odds. Look, I'm not saying I'm going with Hughes to win, but you got to respect the resume. She's won several fights where she's been the dog. Here she is a dog again. People overlook her. And so if you're if you're doing that in the recent past, you're paying for it, right? At plus 600 odds, it's a $10 bet to make 60 bucks here for her win by decision. So keep your eyes peeled here. Don't over parlay Haraguay. I'm looking forward to seeing the fight. I expect Yasmin to walk away with this fight by decision. 30.7, no problem. That's your pick. Let's move on. Moving up the main card, we've got a bantamweight bout between Raul Rosas Jr., El Nino Problema, his nickname is, against Ricky Tarusios. It goes by Pretty Ricky. That's a good nickname. So Bantamweight bout, again, 135 pounders. For Tarusios, kind of broke out on the scene to the ultimate fighter. People fell in love with his story, his like, you know, kind of like California vibes. Everything's cool and love and peace, whatever. But he's 2-1 in the UFC, and the performances have been lackluster. You know what I'm saying? We'll talk more about that in a moment. He's 12-3 and overall, 3-2 in his last five. Hales out of Houston, Texas, 30 years old, 5'9", with a 71-inch reach. As for his opponent, Raul Rosas Jr., only 19 years old, right? One of the youngest fighters on the roster, if not the youngest fighter on the UFC roster. He's 8-1. He's 4-1 in his last five from Santa Rosa, California, 19 years old, 5'9", with a 67-inch reach. And he's of Mexican descent. So he's from California, probably born in California, but parents derived from Mexico. He wears the big sombrero. The fans in Mexico will be embracing him, I assume. Okay, our pick is going to be El Nino Problema, Rosas Jr. By decision, that's plus 200. The line currently has Rosas at minus 218. You've got Ricky Tarusios at plus 180. Look, the UFC is pushing Rosas Jr. You don't have to be some kind of a rocket scientist to figure this out. They booked him for the main event of the prelim card for his first ever fight, and that was on a pay-per-view card, right? So you come out of Contender Series, your first pay, your first fight is the main card slot on the prelim card for a pay-per-view event. Okay, cool. Then his next two fights, before this right here, were also on pay-per-view events, and they were on the main card. And here he goes again. UFC Mexico, not a pay-per-view card, but here is on the main <laughs> card again. So there's no question they're giving him the treatment. Now, he did drop the ball a few fights ago as a minus 250 odds favorite on the main card after talking a big game in the press conference. It was a bit of a you know humbling moment. In that, fate, in that fight he lost, he was unable to take the fight to the mat. 
So we saw with Rosas Jr., who, by the way, is not based out of Mexico. He's going from California to that massive elevation in Mexico where if this fight gets into round two and a half or whatever, I don't know what we're going to look like look like here for Ricky. I'm sorry, for Rosas. He's already looked tired before. He's already looked very one-dimensional, ineffective when he can't get the fight to the ground. And Tarusios, for all the things I'm going to talk about with this guy, he's a bit elusive. He could be a pain in the ass to deal with, awkward fighting style. So for Rosas, you know, I worry he can run out of gas. He, he's trying to bounce back. I'm sorry, he did bounce back in his last fight with a round one finish over Terrence Mitchell. But listen, with all due respect to Mitchell, he's an Alaskan regional fighter, whatever the case may be. That guy has no business in the UFC. They gave him to Kaikara France. France beat the hell out of him. And they served him over here to, to Rosas Jr., who beat him up as well. Look, I don't count that as a quality win. It was good on paper. The bottom line, though, the UFC is booking this kid for main events. They're giving, not main events, but, but main cards. They're pushing him. I believe the UFC is giving Rosas Jr. this fight because they do think he can beat Tarusios, not the other way around. Or not like, oh, let's test the kid out and see what he could do. Tarusios, he's got holes in his game. This fight, to me, is a fight where I think that Rosas Jr. comes out on top. For Tarusios, he won fans over during his time in the Ultimate Fighter. His last fight, his last fight though, hard to watch, put it that way. He spent most of the fight fainting. He would like faint and faint and not throw anything. He wouldn't engage. He landed something like 25 strikes. He's a likable guy. On the microphone, he sounds like he's like, you know, high on life and yeah, dude, peace, whatever. I don't know if maybe Ricky Tarusio doesn't have the DNA to be a fighter. Now, I probably sound dumb. He's in the UFC. He's obviously fight. I just mean like he doesn't have that like I want to be out there killing people in the octagon and bleeding. And I don't think that's his world. He kind of found himself in this situation. He's making the most of it. But again, I question if this is really part of who he's going to be long-term. Additionally, he didn't fight at all last year. Now, we could, we could you know, speculate. A good thing we like to do here, speculate. Was it because he needed time off to improve? Was it because, you know, he had an injury or family? Or was it that the matchmakers put him on ice because his last performance was just so bad? And I'm like, look, Ricky, we don't need that shit out here. <laughs> Regardless, we want no parts of having Ricky Tarusios on our betting slip this weekend or anytime soon. Got to see more from the kid. Got to see a greater sense of urgency. You know, on that note, though, it's not as if he's fighting a guy who's a world beater. Rosas has his problems, too. So if you're betting on Tarusios this weekend at plus 180, God bless you. I got nothing wrong with that. If you're betting on Rosas at minus 218, straight up, I'm scared. And if you're parlaying him, I'm scared, too. Um, he should win, but I'm not as confident in this money line. So the fight beginning round number two, love that spot. That's minus 400. I think we get to round number two. I think Tarusios will be hard to get a hold of in round number one. If he doesn't get taken down, he defends, take, does defensive submissions for the first round, get to round number two. Over 1.5 rounds, minus 345. And then Rosas is a parlay piece. Maybe. I don't know. The fight begins round number two is the prop lock. And once again, the pick is Raul El Nino Problema. Rosas Jr. by decision. Let's move on. Next up, we've got Daniel Golden Boy Zellhuber versus Francisco Prado. It's a lightweight bout between very talented, up-and-coming prospects. These guys are young. Full of potential, and I think three, four, five years down the line, we can see these guys actually being in the top of the division, maybe also meeting each other once again. For Prado, 12-1 and overall from Argentina, 4-1 his last five, only 21 years old, very young, 5'11", 69-inch reach. As for Golden Boy, Zell Huber, 
14 and one, a little more experience, been in the UFC a little bit longer, four and one his last five. He's from Mexico, 24 years young. So again, these guys are early 20s. I mean, their their careers are just kind of getting off to the start. Six foot one for Zell Huber, will be a little bit taller with a 77 inch reach. Quite a big reach advantage there for Zell Huber, who Zell Huber is the Mexican fighter of descent, but he's based out of Las Vegas and he trains out of Extreme Couture, which is an excellent gym. Prado is part of a growing trend of good fighters coming out of Argentina. Now, South America in general, Brazil, whatever, not foreign to, to, to combat sports, but the Argentina, the tribe in Argentina is growing, and you're seeing more and more fighters coming out of Argentina, which uh, give them a shout out there. Okay, the line has Zell Hubert at minus 270, Francisco Prado at plus 220. We like Daniel Golden Boy Zell Hubert to win this fight by decision. That's plus 175 odds. This fight's a great fight. I, I this I could I can go on and on about how this fight's maybe the best fight in the card in terms of pairing up two young guys who could probably also come across paths again in the near future. For Prado, again, he's part of this growing group of guys out of Argentina. The fight game out there is is improving. Those fighters are good. They're durable. Cardio. Zell Huber's a little more polished of a striker with a balanced attack. And though Zell Huber is the clear favorite of the money line, Prado should not be underestimated in this spot. All 12 of Prado's wins were into the distance, and most of them were in round number one. He's also displayed the ability to go three rounds. He lost a fight by decision recently, so he's got the endurance to go three rounds, but he's also got hell of a finishing ability. At a minimum, he'll be ready to throw down with this guy for 15 minutes. So the thing with Prado is, at this age of 21, at the very minimum, he's not going to be an easy out, and that does matter because some fighters, you know, this guy's not going to just bow out. So for Zell Hooper to win the fight, it's going to be the three, three tough rounds of fighting by decision or somehow finishing guys who have been finished before. For Zell Hooper, he's faced a better competition lately because he's been in the UFC a little bit longer, right? His only blemish on his career was a decision loss to Trey Ogden about two years ago. And Trey Ogden is not a terrible fighter. If he gets his hands on you and grapples you and wrestles you, he could eat up two of the three rounds. And so he did that in the case of Zell Hooper. Now, Zell Hooper can finish a fight in a variety of ways. He'll enjoy a noticeable reach advantage, 10 inches approximately over Prado. And Zell Hooper lands 5.26 strikes per minute compared to only 3.46 for Prado. So theoretically, if the fight played out at distance for the bulk of three rounds, Zell Hooper would land more strikes and win the scorecards. Neither of them initiate much grappling, so we should see this fight on the feet for the most of the fight. In that scenario, again, either Prado will score a highlight knockout, another finish in round one or two with a knockout, or Zell Hooper will simply just keep getting ahead for him on the scorecards, score hards, excuse me, and win by decision. The betting spots here, over 1.5 rounds is minus 205, and Zell Huber as a parlay piece. The prop lock for this fight is the fight beginning round number two, which is minus 330. So again, if you like Prado, I like him by knockout. If you like Zell Huber, it's probably a drawn-out decision where he just simply outclasses Prado, a little bit crisper and cleaner. And for 21-year-old Prado, 21 Prado, you're fine, dude. You're fine. A loss here does not hurt you at all. He'll be back. He'll be fine. Let's move on. And that brings us to the co-main event of the evening. Brian TCD Ortega versus Yair El Pantera Rodriguez, a featherweight bout, 145 pounders, and a rematch of a fight that happened back in 2022. Just to refresh your memory, end of the first round, Ortega suffers a fluke shoulder injury. Fight's called off at that point. The TKO goes to Yair Rodriguez. Now, we learned very little of that fight. We did see Ortega get off to a good start. I mean, you could even argue he was winning round one up until that point. So it's not all, you know, a loss, but it's been two years, two years of rehab, recovery. Ortega got out of a relationship that he was in with, with uh, Tracy Cortez. So a lot has happened in the case of Yari Rodriguez. He became an interim title holder 
during that time, then lost that strap to Volkanovski, got knocked out by Volkanovski. We'll get to that point in a second. So anyway, Brian T.C. to Ortega from Cali, 15-3 overall, 2-3 in his last five, still based in California, 33 years old, 5'8 with a 69-inch reach. As for Yair Rodriguez, El Pantera, 18-4 overall, 3-2 in his last five. He is of Mexican descent, now based out of Chicago, 31 years old, 5'11 with a 71-inch reach. Hide and reach will go to the side of Yair Rodriguez, but it's not very much. A matter of fact, go back to the last fight. They are very similar in stature. Okay, so our prediction here is going to be Yair El Pantera Rodriguez by decision at plus 250 odds. And we're torn with this one because we're going back and forth. And I've heard some good arguments for Ortega. I might even have a little small flyer on like Ortega by submission or Ortega by decision. But my official pick here is Yair El Pantera Rodriguez by decision at plus 250. The line currently has Rodriguez at minus 148, Ortega at plus 124. Again, a rematch from 2022. Here we had guys who, after that point, kind of went in two different directions. Ortega went two years of rehab. Rodriguez won himself an interim belt for a second. Then he lost the belt to Volkanovski at UFC 290. Look, for Rodriguez, he wants to get himself right back in the driver's seat, right? Get right back in the title contention. A dominating performance here over Ortega would, you know, help justify that. For Ortega, he hasn't had his hand raised in four years. That is concerning because losing is a habit just as much as winning is a habit. He's won in three of his last four, which included a career beatdown at the hands of Volkanovski. If you don't know about that fight, just take my word for it. Volkanovski took years off this man's life. He definitely took years off the edge of Ortega's mixed martial arts career because he beat the shit out of him. Ortega's a quality fighter, good jiu-jitsu. He's known for the background in wrestling, high school wrestler, good jiu-jitsu, has done jiu-jitsu tournaments. I mean, on the ground, Ortega's good. He couldn't submit Volkanovski, though. For, for Ortega, it, of course, would be wise for him in his camp to mix in some grappling. He's tried to improve his striking. He's had stories of, like, moving in with his boxing coach and improving striking, and he, and he has actually improved it dramatically. But for him, he's such a good grappler. Why not make this more of a grappling match? Ortega, you know, he's, he's better on the ground than people think, put it that way. If I'm coaching him, I'm telling him, listen, let's stay on the range for a little bit, get to the ground, mix things up. While they're standing, I think Rodriguez will have the advantages. He's the I would say crisper because Rodriguez is kind of a wild striker, but maybe more volume, more power. Whereas on the ground, I think it's a clear advantage for Rodriguez. So it's important to note that this fight is a five-round fight. That's super important to note. It's the co-main event, no belt, but it is a five-round affair. At first glance, I'm like, oh, this fight probably, you know, goes decision easily. And then I'm like, oh, man, five rounds, you know. They both have durability issues. My man over here, Ortega, got his shoulder broken last fight. Rodriguez has been finished recently by Volkanovski. He's been finished before. You know, Tough one to call here. Some betting spots. Over 1.5 rounds, minus 320. The fight no distance is minus 200, which obviously conflicts my method of victory. But just putting it out there, the fight no distance, no distance is minus 200. Rodriguez by knockout is plus 180. Not sure I'm going to play that, but something to consider. And then Ortega by submission is plus 300. I do kind of like that spot. So the official pick again is Yair El Pantera Rodriguez by decision at plus 250 because Brian Ortega has gone full distance with, with Volkanovski. He's tough as hell. If Rodriguez wins, it's probably that method. Notably, Ortega went the full five rounds with Volkanovski. Granted, he got his ass beat up. And maybe the fight could have been stopped, arguably, at some point. But he went the full distance. Rodriguez fought Volkanovski recently, and he could not get out of the third round. So, you know, I mean, Matt, there for you, Ortega got, you know, just saying. But again, the official pick here is El Pantera Rodriguez by decision. One of the biggest reasons why I'm picking Pantera is I think that the beatdown 
that Ortega took in that fight versus Volkanovski is career changing. I don't think he'll ever be the same after that. Just put a little footnote. Let's move on. And here we are, the main event of UFC Mexico. The two Brandons in their part two. Brandon Royval, Raw Dog versus Brandon the Assassin Baby Moreno. And of course, Moreno was the recent champion who lost his belt to Pantoja. He's lost his belt to Davison, got it back. And I'm sure at some point, Moreno will probably get the belt back at some point in the line. For now, same thing like uh, Roy Val and same thing like um, you know the other guys who are in this last few fights here. They're trying to stay relevant at the top of the division. There's no belt on this fight card, but these are basically fights to get in line for the belt, right? So Moreno, Assassin Baby, 21-7-2 overall, 3 to his last five. He hails from Tijuana, Mexico, 30 years old, five foot seven with a 70-inch reach. For Brandon Royval, 15 and 7 overall, 3 to his last five. From Colorado, 31 years old, 5'9 with a 70 and a half inch reach. Both guys are at good gyms, peak of their career. Uh, Royval, it's just been like he's just been one fight or two from you know getting that belt or, or being in that title title fight. For Moreno, been on the top of the division for a while. Gonna be a great fight. They have fought before. We'll talk about that fight in just a moment. Let me get to my notes here on these two guys. So we like Brandon Assassin Baby Moreno to win this fight by decision. That's plus 140 odds. Indication the books agree, okay? It is a five-round fight again. It's not a three-round fight. Even though there's no belt, it's still a five-round fight main event. This is a rematch from a few years ago. In that first fight, the fight gets cut short in round number one because an arm or shoulder injury is sustained by Roy Val. Not It's a weird coincidence. We have two fights in this card that are being rematched because of injury in round number one. Anyway, that happened a few years ago. We have no idea then, based upon that fight, really what to expect. Both guys have... <coughs> Done a lot of growing since then. In the case of Roy Val, he's done a lot of improving since then. But it was a fluke injury. It just it almost means nothing. They're both coming off decision losses to Pantoja. So they both have lost their last fight to the same guy. In the case of Moreno, he lost his belt to Pantoja. Then Pantoja fights Roy Val, and then Roy Val loses to Pantoja too by decision. Okay. It was a valiant effort by both guys. In the case of Roy Val, I think even more telling. It showed he belongs in that same you know, conversation with the best guys in the world. I do want to point out that Roy Val is a replacement fighter for this fight. This was supposed to be a, a Bosnian, I believe, whatever. And Roy Val fought like eight weeks ago. It's not the ideal scenario. It's a little thirsty on the on the, on the side of Roy Val's camp. If Roy Val pulls off the win, great, awesome. Or he, or he fights five rounds and it's a good fight, you know, okay, good. If he loses somehow or loses in dominant fashion or gets finished, it's the same blueprint that Volkanovski just followed, which is not a good one. You're getting back in there too soon. You're not recovering fully. You're not getting involved with a full camp. You're thirsty. You want your strap back. Uh, uh, uh. Next thing you know, Volkanovski had knocked out. Well, same thing with Revile here. You just fought eight weeks ago. I don't love that part of it. Matter of fact, that's my biggest thorn when it comes to Revile in this fight is that he did fight so recently, and he's the replacement here. For Moreno, he lost by a split decision to Pantoja. So... In another universe, in a parallel universe far, far away, he could be the one still with the belt, and he could be defending his title right here at UFC Mexico. Just saying. Moreno has multiple wins over the best in the world. He's beaten Kakara France multiple times. Davidson make Figueroa multiple times. Strictly from a strength of schedule standpoint, Moreno has a, an advantage here over Roy Val, who Roy Val has fought some of those guys too. He's also lost to some of those guys. Furthermore, Moreno is the former champion. He's in Mexico, while Roy Val has never been to the top of the mountain. This fight is going to be good. Looking forward to it. If Moreno loses, I'm not like, oh, I can't believe it. I'm shocked. 
but it just seems to be like, you know, this is, he's got the advantages. You know, he was preparing for the last, let's say, eight weeks of this fight. Not, not Roy Val. Roy Val was fighting eight weeks ago. You know, catch my drift. So give me Moreno. I like him by decision. You know, this guy's exciting fighter. It's going to be a grueling bout. If it goes the full distance, it's going to be exciting. If it doesn't go the full distance, going to be exciting either way. But give me Moreno. Okay, let me give you a summary of our picks for UFC Mexico. At the top of the card, we like Brendan Moreno, Yair Rodriguez, Daniel Zellhuber, Raul Rosas Jr., Yasmin Yaraguay, Manuel Torres, Christian Quinones, Je uh, Jesus Aguilar, Edgar Chárez, Claudio Puelles, Luis Rodriguez, Felipe Dos Santos, and the main and in the first fight in the prelim card, we like Mohamed Namoff. So a lot of Hispanic fighters, a lot of Latino fighters, a lot of Mexican fighters are on our list of fighters to win. But we feel confident the crowd's going to be going bananas. You know, they're going to have their colorful in the stands, the reds and the greens. And I'm pretty sure people are going to be all serviced up and liquored up and tequila having a great time. When you're talking about combat sports, I'm talking before mixed martial arts, the boxing world, man. Mexican boxers are, you know, infamous. The chins, the durability, the, the Cesar Chavez is so... It's no wonder now that we've, you know, moved into a mixed martial arts world where now boxing still exists, but combat sports is now sharing the pie that Mexico has finally caught up. Because for a while, if you guys aren't, don't recall, Mexico was not producing many mixed martial arts fighters. We had a handful. It just wasn't really growing there just yet. Now we've got them. we got a ton of them. And this card is obviously an example of that. So it's going to be an exciting fight card. Looking forward to the, to the ripple effects. Looking forward to see what happens with these last few fights for the guys like Roy Val. And the guys like Yair Rodriguez and Zell Hooper, where they kind of go from here. Either way, going to be an absolute banger. I'm tuning in this weekend again, 7 o'clock p.m. on Saturday. A lot of mixed martial arts this weekend. So get your schedule together. you got Cage Warriors LFA on, on Friday. Then you've got KSW Epic. You've got uh, Rising. You've got UFC. You've got PFL versus Bellator all on Saturday. So get your schedules right. Most fans will probably be making sure they tune into this fight card because it's going to be epic. Again, not pay-per-view. That's dope. Going to be on ESPN Plus, and uh, I'm going to watch every single fight religiously, like I like I, like I'm there in the in the stands. Actually, I'm lying. I'm going to be hosting a party um, at my house on Saturday, so I'm going to be kind of like tuning in and out whenever I can to watch the fights. I'll have the fights playing in some parts of my house for for me to glance as I'm walking through the party. But um, going to be exciting. Uh, tune in to, or I'm sorry, not tune in. Subscribe to our newsletter to get our tip sheet, our written breakdown, and other resource tools. That link for our newsletter is right here give it to you right there if you're hearing this on our podcast the link to our newsletter is mmafightclub.substack.com follow us on the socials you can find us on instagram you can find us on tiktok you can find us on x you can find us on twitch and obviously right here on youtube so please like and subscribe support the content we appreciate that Without further ado, guys, let me let you go. Have a wonderful, wonderful day, morning, uh, weekend, every time you're listening to this. Enjoy the fights, and uh, we'll see you guys soon. Deuces.